All right, it is that time to get started here, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, halfway through, picking up at verse 23, where we left off, here in what we call the third missionary journey. Paul the Apostle and his team spreading the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world. We're going to pick up where we left off in just a start. As we usually do, we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge as Jesus our Lord taught us that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we ask, Lord, for this that we have in our hearts and hold upon our laps, the God-breathed word sent from heaven. Open the eyes of our understanding, and Father, we just know you're sovereign. We believe in your providence that you order the steps of your people. So you ordered our steps to be in this place at this time for a good reason, and we pray that that reason would uh, be fully realized by our open hearts and our yielded spirits to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Last February, kind of a spectacular sight, wasn't it? Over the Russian skies, you'll recall a meteor traveling, what, 40,000 miles per hour, plummeted to the earth, creating a massive shock wave, blew out windows, many people were injured. We have a picture of that, you'll remember that part of that 55-foot boulder space rock ended up crashing into a frozen lake. That's the hole it left. And praise the Lord, it was into a lake and not a major city. Amen. Now, here's what they hauled up. A chunk of that was five foot long, weighed 1,000 pounds. They brought it up there, and just amazing to think where that rock has been and how far it's traveled, and you know, everybody wants a little piece of it, and there were, and are, lots of pieces of meteorites all over the world. I didn't know this. I did a little research. There are 40,000 meteorites that have been found and categorized, and, and, and they're worth a lot of money, so just... Just FYI, <laughs> if you see anything that looks like that. Now, uh, while I was reading, I found out that they come in many different shapes and sizes. And you'll see here all kinds of shapes. Those are the small ones. And, and then the next slide here, they just come in different shapes and sizes. Now, one of those fell to the earth and landed in Ephesus, 2000 some years ago. And they discovered the rock, and they looked at it, and they thought to themselves that it looked like the form of a lovely woman, which tells you one thing for sure, it was a guy who found the rock. <laughs> because to a guy, everything looks like the lovely form of a woman. Now, <laughs> they named it, Artemis, and they felt very favored there in Ephesus to uh, guard it, to enshrine it, and to worship it in their fair city, that the whole world would know that Artemis, or if you want to call her Diana, as the Romans did. So if you have the King James Version, you'll hear her name Diana, Artemis, same gal, same goddess, the goddess of uh, fertility. And in this case, uh, that's very important to remember. Now, another slide to show you. The temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There are 127 of those pillars. They're 60 feet tall. Uh, the, the, the stadium, as it were, it is bigger than a football field. It's four, 450 feet long by 225 feet wide. And so you can see why it was considered one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. And the whole world, the whole civilized world knew about Ephesus, knew about the Ephesians, knew about Artemis. That was their claim to fame, and that's important because it serves as really the crux 
uh, and the topic of, of what the conflict in Ephesus with the gospel is going to be all about. Picking up at verse 23. Now about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Back in those days, Christianity got a nickname called the way because we always are talking about the way to heaven. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them all together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, men, you know we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia, that would be modern-day Turkey. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia, and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now let's pause there. If you're taking notes, this story, this incident, really has a beginning, a middle, and an end, which is a delight to all preachers to have three uh, points like that. So let's name them. Number one would be the charges are made. Number two, the crowd is gathered. And number three, the crisis is averted. There is also a PS there that the Christian message will go forward. And if you want to put PS in number four, you know, you're free to do that. So let's look at number one. A disturbance arises, as it always will happen when the gospel comes into lives and makes an impact around us. There's a disturbance. And so we see a, a uh, the charges, rather, uh, are going to be made. Now, your text says about that time. Well, that tells us we've got to read the paragraph before. About what time, right? Well, it was about the time after three long years of uh, gospel ministry there that Paul had, very successful. Disciples' school was up and running at the uh, lecture hall of Tyrannus. You'll remember that and the whole region's being evangelized. So after three long years, there was an event, and what happened was people were burning their scrolls about sorcery and getting rid of their amulets and anything associated with the occult. Because of the, the Holy Spirit, the person in the work of the Holy Spirit is really emphasized in, in Acts 19. You'll recall that even Apollos, one of the pastors of the church, was only always talking about repentance, repentance, repentance. And he had to be kind of corrected and said, hey, there's the Holy Spirit. There's new life in Christ. There's power over our sins. There's the love of God. There's doing his work. There's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And mostly really, the power to live the Christian life. I mean, Christianity is more than a list of do's and don'ts. Pity the person who thinks that Christianity is all about rules. That's religion. Christianity is a relationship with the living God, and that God takes the form of the Holy Spirit, and he comes in and he regenerates and he gives warmth and passion and power and interest and desire and fervor and a lot more than that. I just ran out of adjectives. Now, <laughs> now, uh, now, here we are in this place and because of that, these Christians, it says, uh, started burning. <laughs> well, John the Baptist said, what about the Christ? Jesus is coming, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will come and baptize you with the spirit and with fire. So the Christians in Ephesus, they're singing songs like, holy fire, burn away, my desire for anything that is not of you, but is of me. I want more of you and less of all this other stuff. And so they took the other stuff and they just piled it up, 4.5 million dollars worth of scrolls and amulets and 
things that just dishonored the name of the Lord. About that time is when Demetrius, or shall we say, the power behind Demetrius, the devil, says it's time for a little pushback. He's been around three years watching this, kind of helpless by the grace of God. He's watching the whole region be evangelized. Discipleship school. And then he has to see the flames of all his cherished uh, books and scrolls and amulets going up as Christians are gathered and praising God and singing and all of the things are being melted away. Oh, time for a little payback. So what has to happen is the devil can't do it alone. He needs hands. He needs a mouth to spread the slander. He needs the hands to do the dirty work and the feet to take him to the place he needs to be. And so he's going to find his man with Demetrius. Now, what's up with Demetrius? Well, what's going on about that time is is that uh, all the sales for all the paraphernalia for idolatrous worship uh, was dwindling. The stock prices for the companies that manufactured the shiny little silver amulets was going through the floor. Now, as more and more people got saved, fewer and fewer customers were available. And what made matters worse was that there were several uh, annual feasts to Diana or Artemis. And so as they're coming in, they, uh, there's not so many people at the stores anymore. You know, idols are us. <laughs> yeah. They're not hearing the bing bong at the door anymore because you know what? They're turning from idols to serve the living God. And now Demetrius and his buddies are feeling it where it really counts in the wallet. And so this is what's going on here. Christianity impacting a culture, actually making a difference. You know, Jesus described us as salt. People always wonder, what did he mean by that? Well, one of the the key qualities and purposes of salt, especially in the day in which Jesus taught, was to preserve. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have chemicals that we use to preserve things. And so they packed things in salt. And Jesus said, you are the preserving agent in your culture and society and in your families because of the life of the Holy Spirit within us. Charles Haddon Spurgeon on this text, this is how we should endeavor to change society. I wish the gospel would impact the trades of London. Oh, that it would be so. There are plenty of trades that need to be curtailed, not by an act of parliament, but by the spread of the gospel. I have no faith in any reformation that does not come through people's hearts being transformed. You see, when Paul came, he didn't set up uh, signs protesting Artemis. Let's shut down this temple. We'll show you who the real God is here. Diana this, Artemis that. He didn't do that. He preached Christ. He's pro Jesus. He's not against everything else. That's not our message. Our message is not, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Our message is, this is right, this is true. Now, I was listening to a podcast you might enjoy. It's called Search the Scriptures 24-7. Beautiful, apologetic uh, website. Just wonderful podcasts. And I was listening to one where a Muslim got converted and started a ministry, very powerful ministry, uh, not just for Muslims, but defending the faith. And here's what he said. He said, Christians were always trying to argue me out of Islam by showing me the errors and problems of Islam. What really saved me was the truth of Christianity. Uh, The truth of Christianity was more effective in my coming to Christ than the error of Islam. You see, we preach Christ. 
against, 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 and I'm sure you could say, I can make a case for telling you why this certain thing is wrong. That's not my message. That's not Pregnancy Counseling Center's message, is know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you're gonna wanna keep your child. Right, I, I mean, you could keep the child and not know Jesus, and well, what good is that for the mom? It's good for the child. But what about the mom? Somebody asked me, huh? How do I share Christ? How do I witness to my gay cousin? I said, tell him about Jesus. Tell him about Jesus. It's not, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Uh, Tell them about Jesus. And Jesus comes in and he said, behold, I make all things new. Oh, we get all on this anti-Artemis, anti-this and anti-that thing. Yes, there are things that are wrong, and yes, if you ask me about it, I will tell you. I mean, Paul will later say, man-made gods are no gods at all. I mean, that's pretty point blank, but his message isn't anti-idolatry. His message is Jesus is Lord, and that truth is what sets people free, and that gives them the power. How is anybody going to do any moral transformation without the Holy Spirit and regeneration anyway. So I thought that was a nice little rabbit trail to go down because (laughs) it's important. Now, let's get to Demetrius, okay? The devil needs, he's looking around and going, guys, (laughs) to his fellow demons, we need some help here. Anybody got a suggestion? Demetrius is a hothead and he's immoral and he's obstinate. He doesn't want anything to do with anything religious. And everybody says, I vote Demetrius. And Demetrius volunteers. At first, they have to hook Demetrius. And so Lucifer, the devil, goes to him with a question that he goes to every human soul with. What's it going to take to win you over, buddy? What's it going to take? Well, it says in your text, Demetrius brought in no little business. Let me translate that for you. He made a killing off of Artemis worship, all right? Now, what they did was they'd make little shrines of the temple or Diana. They'd bring it to the priests and priestesses, and they'd bless them, and then for your time to come to Ephesus and see the temple, you'd go home with a little blessed trinket, right? Well, those days were coming to an end. So the devil says, hey, Dimitri, my, my, my son in the faith, listen to me. The money or the truth, which is more important to you? Money or truth? Your soul or your business? Self-indulgence and luxury or going to heaven? And he chose. He chose. Jesus. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for me will find it. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give up to keep yourself from going to hell? That's what Jesus is asking. So the devil's saying, save yourself, man. The gospel's coming and wants to change everything. You'll you'll lose your job, your income, your reputation. Oh, oh, you're selling little little copies of a rock? It's a meteor. It's not a god. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be broke. You're going to be humiliated. What about your wife? Uh, She's got expensive tastes, right? If the wife doesn't have the bling... (laughs) I can't think of a rhyme to go with it. (laughs) Yeah, going on. You know, dude, listen. The new chariots, they're coming out next month. Right? Are you thinking about this? The summer house that we all have over there on the Mediterranean? That goddess has been good to you and me. Second thing I noticed, oh man, this is the part I, I just, just had me going off in my office loud. <laughs> Paul, this fellow is leading people astray. He is? <laughs> He's leading, we're leading people astray. The Christian message is duping people. 
into believing there's a God who made heaven and earth and he's gonna come back and light up the skies and everybody will stand before him and give an account of their lives. We're leading them astray. Yeah, we are leading you astray. Astray from the wrath of God, from eternal condemnation, from destroying your life, from sin, death, and the grave. Yeah. If you want to call it leading astray, may everyone in the sound of my voice be led astray to life. Amen. Led astray from the way of the world that leads to death and to the narrow way that leads to life. And then he goes on and he says, and it's working. It's working, Demetrius' speech. He says, great numbers of Ephesians are believing. And all over the region, people are converting. And then he takes the gasoline on the fire. And he holds up a little, this is how I picture it. He holds up a little trinket of Diana. Is it a kiss? Sorry, (laughs) we'll spit it out of my mouth. Uh, And and then he says, let's review our trade. Its reputation is at stake. Our incomes, our livelihoods, our wives, our kids. This stunning temple, its reputation, our goddess herself is robbed of her dignity and majesty. It's an attack against her. Listen, if your God can be attacked and destroyed, it's time to get a new God, all right? I, you really, and when people attack God, you know, I tell you all the time because I just think it's hilarious. The stop sign in S- Sebastopol that someone spray painted underneath stop God. So it says stop God. And every time I went by that, I just had a good laugh. Yeah, good luck. I, I mean, seriously, I hope you're working out, you know? What, seriously, stopping God, not good. So he says this. He says, okay, brothers, listen. If Paul preaches Jesus with this kind of success continually, we go broke, the temple shuts down, Ephesians are humiliated, and our goddess is defamed. Or we could stand up for what's right. We could stand up for what matters. What do you guys say? And then the chanting begins. And by the way, they're calling out to her. The is you will find in parentheses because the is isn't in there. It's just to make it make sense. It says, great Artemis of the Ephesians. It's all great goddess. So they start chanting and calling on her name. Now, the application isn't hard to see here. About that time, a great disturbance arose, and it will always arise in your life, okay? Just get that. When God is doing a good work in you, and uh, lives are being touched, and things are changing, there's always going to be a disturbance. Always, always, always. No exceptions. That's how it is in this life. It's not 24-7, but you will see that that will happen. Why? Because the Dimitri, the Dimitrii of the world, multiple Demetriuses, are Demetrii. You didn't know that? I just made it up. The Demetriuses of the world sense in the gospel as much as you're not anti-anything, just fill in the blank. They sense in the gospel a threat to something. If this is true and Jesus is Lord, then I'm gonna lose my self-determination or my ability to direct my own life and my own affairs. Or it may mean I'm gonna have to change the way I make a living or pay my taxes or my sexuality or my marriage. They perceive it as a threat. All Demetrius's. That's the problem, you see? But you just keep up the good work because the Lord said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Okay, the charges have been made. Let's move on. Verse 29 through 34. Now soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, 
but his disciples, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> the Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people, but when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great Artemis of the Ephesians. So the charges are made, and now if you take taking notes number two, the crowd is gathered. Now, here's a picture of the theater, which was dug up there in the uh, 1800s, I believe. Seating capacity, 25,000 at its highest peak, 25,000 people. So pretty amazing place that they can't find Paul, but the associate pastors will do. Gaius and Aristarchus are hauled into that theater. Like some of you, I have stood there I started shouting, greatest Jesus of the Christians. You know, that's just <laughs> how I am. And <laughs> it was echoing throughout there. That is not me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I can't see it, just so uh, whatever, but it's not me. So the two associates are in custody, and the disgruntled union members are stirred up, and they're stirring up the whole city. So. The mob reaches fever pitch thanks to Satan, really. It's always the one behind the person, right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but uh, against powers and principalities uh, in heavenly places, okay? So the murderer is about to do his thing because that's his job description, John chapter 8 and verse, what is it, forty? Four, he's a murderer. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, he's a destroyer. John chapter 10 and verse 10, he's a thief who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his mission statement. And so he's got a crowd going, and he can do a lot of damage. There's pushback, reason is out the window. Blind passion is enthroned, and someone could get killed. Now, Perhaps this is what Paul meant when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 15 of first letter. He says, back in Ephesus, I had to deal with wild beasts. Scholars are always like, what, what, is, what is he talking about? Diana, or Artemis, is the goddess of wild beasts as well. And so this angry crowd, like a bunch of hungry Hyenas foaming at the mouth are like wild brute animals. And so he mentions this to the Corinthians that he was caught up in this kind of thing, in this kind of mob. Ben Franklin defined a mob this way, a monster with multiple heads but no brain. <clears throat> I, I thought it was pretty funny. Some were shouting one thing, some were shouting something else, but most of them, 20, let's say 20,000, most of the 20,000 people didn't know why they were there. Yeah, yeah, down with this and down with that and let, let's kill them, kill them, and whoa, why are we here? <laughs> That's unbelievable. We can so relate to that. It just sounds so real. Uh, now, uh, another writer said this about mob mentality. Every mob in its ignorance and blindness and bewilderment is a league of frightened men that seek reassurance in collective action. In other words, it's the their safety in numbers mentality. Oh, ask somebody at the crowd on Good Friday, would you go up to the Son of God yourself after all those miracles and those beautiful words that flew out of his mouth and shake your fist and say, crucify you. I hate you. I wish you were dead. Oh, no, 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 no. You would not. But if you were, could hide out in a crowd 
And then you're safe in there and get everybody on the same page and you're like, crucified, crucified. We hate you. We wish you were dead. Yeah, because you're in a crowd. It's safe. And this is why mobs do what mobs do because they think there's safety because everybody's here. So can everybody be wrong? Well, it's having dinner with an unbeliever, with just me and him. And at one point in the conversation, he says, everybody in this, in this restaurant would agree with me. And I said, sadly, yes, that's my point. <laughs> that, that's exactly my point. Because listen what Jesus said. What sorrow awaits you when you, you who are praised by the crowd, when the whole world applauds and approves, because worldly approval is often a sign of heaven's disfavor. Let me quote Jesus again in Luke chapter 16 and verse 15. He said, for that which is highly esteemed by men is detestable, King James, abomination to God. The things men say, ah, oh, this is right and true and good. God goes, it's an abomination to me. And so it doesn't matter what the mob all thinks or what the whole world thinks. It matters Heaven's take on the matter is really the only thing that matters. And so the biblical reality is, is that while you're in the mob chanting away and hidden safety with numbers and all my friends and all of that, in this life, you can protest in mass. In the life to come, you will answer individually. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 for each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Romans 14, verse 12. We all have an appointment, and it's not with my homies. Okay? Not that I have any homies. I don't know. But uh, it won't be you and your wife. It, it just won't be. It won't be Demetrius, Demetrius. Dude, Demetrius, it's you and him. Not you and the whole crowd that's taken up your cause and you feel safe. And look at how many of us there are. It doesn't matter. At the great white throne in Revelation 20, as far as the eye can see, is standing before the great white throne. And nobody at the great white throne makes it. As far as the eye can see. So much for groupthink. So much for groupthink. Well, let's move on. Paul Here's the chaos in your text from wherever he is. Can you imagine how that reverberated through Ephesus there? And uh, he wants, oh, here's what he hears. How many people are in there? 20,000 people. They're in the stadium? 20,000 souls. Let me go down. I got my, he's taking out his Bible, right? Hey, yeah, it's not fair. Starkus and Gaius, hey, let me, let me have that. And the disciples go, uh, one word, no. <laughs> yeah, and then notice it says the officials in the city who were friends with Paul sent him a message. No way, Jose, Paul, no way. You're not coming down here. Hashtag, they're going to kill you. <laughs> <clears throat> so he does it. Now, very interesting thing. What happens here? Alexander is a Jew. So the Jews in the crowd say, oi, oi vey, they think that we have something to do. Paul's a Jew, and all, a lot of the Christians in Ephesus were Jews. And so they want to tell the crowd, hey, just because we're Jews, we don't like Paul either, and we don't want anything to do with the gospel or this Jesus character ourselves. And so what do they do? They take a good speaker, and they push him up front, and they're instructing him, feeding him lines, and saying, tell him this, tell him this, tell him we hate Paul. We tried to kill him too, you know? And so he raises his hand. What does he have? He's a yarmulke on his head, or he's got the blue fringe of the Jews, or he's got a big nose like me. Uh, you know, something gives him away. They know he's a Jew, and they just turn up the volume like little toddlers who don't want to hear anything. They just plug their ears, and away they start chanting for two hours straight. 
That's a lot of chanting. Great Artemis of the Ephesians over and over for two straight hours. Wow. Okay, moving on. 35 through 41, the city clerk quieted the crowd. Ran out of steam there. Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? There you go. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not to do anything rash. You've been, you have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting by the Romans, right? Because of today's events in that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. So we've seen the charges are made, one. Number two, the crowd is gathered. Number three, the crisis is averted. Now the city clerk, who is he? He's the liaison between Ephesian government and Roman administration. The Romans ruled But they gave certain cities like Ephesus lots of privileges. And you're on the good list with Rome. You had certain uh, benefits, right? But Rome did not like riots. Oh, riots are bad. Disorder, bad. And it's this guy's job. He'd lose his job. They would just take away the benefits and the privileges and slap Rome. And the citizens would pay a, a fine, a tax, for not maintaining the peace, because Rome is all about the, the way of peace. And so this was this guy notices, okay, they're running out of steam after two hours, so he raises his hands, and it simmers down. And here's what he's saying. Let me contemporize it for a little fun, okay? I'll just paraphrase it, all right? You ready for a little levity? <laughs> Men of Ephesus, are you crazy? <laughs> The whole world knows the truth about Ephesus. Everyone knows full well how Artemis' lovely image fell out of the sky that night and how we've guarded that image in this glorious temple. Nobody can dispute these facts, so just calm your bad selves down (laughs) and don't do anything stupid that you're going to regret later. Demetrius If you and your boys have a legitimate complaint against Paul or anybody else, guess what? The courts are open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. You can come and press as many charges as you like. There are legal ways to settle your disputes. And just so you know, this isn't one of them. We're all in danger of Rome slapping us with a fat fine for this riot, which has no legal basis. Is that what you want? You want martial law here or a Roman soldier on every corner? Is that what you guys want? And so there's even more quiet. And he says, I didn't think so. And by the way, these, oh, I love this one. These men are not guilty of any crime, nor have they insulted Diana or Artemis. Right there. The city official says, these guys didn't do anything. The entire Gospels and the book of Acts and the New Testament makes one thing very clear. It's always vindicating the message, the Messiah, and the messengers of the Gospel as benevolent, moral, good doers who love, who keep the, the, the laws, who don't denigrate temples or slander things. We're not mean and vicious. We don't blow ourselves up in crowds because we don't uh, believe that your religion is the right way. We don't do any of that. We're the Christian terrorists. There's no such thing as a Christian terrorist. We're supposed to love our enemies. How can you terrorize while you're loving them? I'm sure somebody will find a way. (laughs) So... 
Now, it's just me, and you know how I am, Barb, right? <laughs> Can you imagine me doing this? So man, let's pretend I'm Aristarchus and Gaius, the two brothers who are hauled in, right? So as they're filing out, kind of with the tail between their legs, a little bit, all right? The Holy Spirit's like, okay, everybody, be quiet. I'm in trouble with this. Be quiet and go home. Just get out of here. And so I personally would want to start chanting just a little bit, just a small chant, and I made one up, all right? I would, I would with my, if there was a, another Christian brother there, I'd put my arm around him, I'd go into his ear, hey, hey, ho, ho, all the protests has got to go, hey, hey. <laughs> as they walk out, and then I imagine him being equally as clever, coming back to me, hey, hey, ho, ho. God is faithful, don't you know? Hey, hey, go. <laughs> yeah, goodbye, go home. Take your trinkets and get out of here. I love the line. He dared to say, and this is one of Demetrius' big lines. He has said, he dared to say, man-made gods are no gods. <gasps> Did he really say that that which we create with our hands really isn't God? What a crazy thing to say, right? Are you with me on this? Or do you believe that the man-made thing could be God, right? You're not there, right? Okay, because let me tell you, the rocks in the world that we kill each other for because we worship them, the gold, the silver, the precious gems, they're not God. Man-made gods are no gods at all. You know the human form that we worship? Yeah, we do, sometimes. The porn industry, it's not a god. We treat it like a god. We serve it better than the living and true god. We're more consistent, more faithful, more, way more devoted, and give more money to it, too. Those are all signs that you worship it. But it's not a god, it's a man made thing is no God at all. Whether it be a house or a car, a man-made God is no God at all. And we laugh at them for all their statutes and their trinkets. And, and the same underlying principle is in our hearts when we give ourselves other than to Christ and we serve rival thrones. So, we have the same sort of scenario. So by the grace of God, God was faithful and they had to go. Now there's a PS here. It, chapter divisions aren't inspired. And we see that right here because they divided the chapter. The story's not over, all right? So let's just finish it, just a PS, so no worries. It's not a whole extended point. But let's just finish the story because I don't want you to go home and not know what happened, right? Wouldn't that be terrible, amen? Oh, your heart cried today. But I love you. I love you unconditionally, just so we know. All right. Acts 20, verses 1 through 6. Now, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them and said goodbye, set out for Macedonia. He traveled throughout the area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, that is Corinth, where he stayed three months. And by the way, he wrote Romans then. Because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also, Tychicus and Trophimus, from the province of Asia, these men went on ahead and waited for us. Wherever we see us, we know Luke is with us now, with them, I should say. Verse 6, finally, but we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So here's a slide, and I'll just explain what that you just read so easily, and you'll all be in understanding. Here's the scene of the, the, the chaos in the mob. Paul leaves. He wants eventually to go to Corinth, right? So he goes up to Troas. 
he takes a ship, follow the blue. He encourages the Philippians, the Thessalonians, the Bereans, and he eventually, the text says, gets down to Greece. This is called Greece back in the day, Corinth. This is called Macedonia. It's today, it's all of Greece, but then Macedonia, all right? So here's what happens. After three months in Corinth, he writes the book of Romans, and he says, I wanna take an offering to take it to the Christians, Jews in Jerusalem. They're always hurting for money, that church. And so he collects an offering as he's coming down from all the churches. So all the, the, the funny names in the text, they're all representatives with the offering. And they're all going to, now they're all down here, all that group of names listed. They're all at port, having st- spent three months in Corinth. Now they're gonna go to Syria and then go to, on to Jerusalem. However, Paul finds out here when they're all getting on the boat, somebody's gonna kill you. So he says, you guys go, you guys take a boat, not to Syria, but you guys go up to Troas. I'll take the land route and I'll leave from Philippi and I'll go by myself to Troas and I'll meet you all there. That's exactly what happened. So now he goes back and he gets sent on his way again. He gets a chance to encourage all the churches. The rest of the guys are not on the hit list. So they go off to Troas and just as planned, as the plan was, Paul joins them here. Now Luke and Timothy, Paul and Segundus and Secundus and Marundus and all the rest of them. (laughs) They're, They're all there waiting and that's as far as the text takes you. All right, and then the text picks up from that place, and we're gonna finish out the third missionary journey. Now, here's how we conclude. And we can have a little guitar music, it would be nice. Come on up here. Now, honestly, Demetrius, was it worth all of that? That's what I wanna say if I'm talking to Demetrius. So an unrepented, well, I'll wait till y'all get up here. I can't compete with moving bodies. This is the worship team. They're taking their places. Isn't it fascinating? (laughs) Thank you, Nick. Demetrius, he's been dead a long time. Jesus, alive. Paul, living. Demetrius, unrepented. He's in a place called Hades or Sheol. Sheol does not be, is not resurrected until the end of a thousand years of the new kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Then that holding place described in Luke 16 gets resurrected to the great white throne. Demetrius is dead. Paul is alive. Diana is forgotten about. I had to, to you know, do research. Diana? Artemis? What? Yeah, Gone the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne. The temple, the seventh wonder of the world. Wow, look at that thing. Ephesus, it's a tourist stop now for for basically Christians. That's it, a few rocks. But the kingdom of God and heaven and the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim and all that God has planned for us. Oh, it hasn't diminished one bit. The glory, bright and wonderful. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The gospel is still spreading, and the lovely shaped space rock that started this whole thing was a rock, a meteor. It's now, what is it? It's a rock among other rocks. And that's what caused people to perish? A rock. Jesus' name still being honored and those who embrace him are still being healed and set free and finding life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. We, we say there, but the grace of God go 
all of us with Demetrius and hanging on to his little silver idols. God, but you changed our hearts. You showed us your favor. We opened up to you and you saved us. And now we have a different destiny. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. My parting reflection for all of us is to expect great disturbances. They, they arise. It's part of the normal process of living our Christian faith in this world. Let me close with this uh, testimony that I heard about today. There is a couple here that uh, have a piece of property. It's a beautiful piece of property, and many people want to get married on the property. And so in their dealings with a couple, they let the couple know that it is for traditional marriages, God-honoring marriages, biblical marriages. Not anti-anything, just want to honor God, and this is our property. And so they got yelped to death. Terrible. And now their business has doubled and tripled. They have to turn people away. Let me tell you, there's a lot of fear in talking before what to do. Nasty, nasty things. Threats, lawsuits. Listen, folks. <laughs> Expect it. It's coming. It's coming to a neighborhood near you. It's coming, <laughs> it's coming to your house near you. Uh, it's coming to a church pastor that some of you may know. And as I've told you many times before, if you visit me in jail, bring me one of those files and put it in the cake. All right? Just like, it worked in the cartoons. <laughs> Just to get it. I stole that from Pastor Chuck. I always have to give him credit for that. Listen, okay, we expect it. Our God is great. He's going to walk us through. We're not haters. We're just lovers. We're, we love righteousness and truth and Jesus, and you can too. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just commit that business in particular to you, that your continued blessing, to just affirm them, just affirm them for standing up and putting everything on the line and uh, saying yes to you, Lord. And for all of us, Lord, that have to kind of deal with great disturbances because we're just simply obeying you and speaking the truth in love, help us not to panic, not to hate, not to react, but just to trust, to obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Prayer at the cross. Hey, if you signed up for New at the Rock, that is today, over in about 25 minutes in the NPR. God bless you.